This is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Welcome back, friends. We've got a special treat for you today. Our director of coaching, Adam Breckenridge, is actually going to let you listen in on a live coaching session with his friend, Chris McGee. Now, Chris is an Enneagram 2, and he's noticed some pain points in how he leads his team. So he reached out to engage in Enneagram coaching. You'll hear firsthand how Enneagram coaching can really benefit you as a leader. And if you're considering becoming an Enneagram coach, this will be an insightful resource for you as well, as you hear how Adam leads Chris through the coaching process. Guys, I am so glad you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back to our podcast, everyone. I'm Adam Breckenridge, Director of Coaching here at Your Enneagram Coach, and today I am filling in for Beth and Jeff for a special episode that I'm really excited about because in this episode, I'm going to give you an inside look into the coaching space and what it's like to actually coach someone using the tool of the Enneagram. So today we're doing a live coaching session. And uh, for those of you who are considering becoming an Enneagram coach, I'm going to give you a look into just what this feels like, what it's like to sit with someone and be curious and listen and ask questions and help them explore their Enneagram type and all the implications that has on their relationships and so I'm um, going to be modeling uh, some of the principles that, that we teach in our Becoming an Enneagram Coach course, which we are going to be reopening right around the corner, February 28th through March the 9th. So uh, for any of you who are interested in becoming an Enneagram Coach, this is your chance. Now, there are different types of coaching and, and different ways you can use the Enneagram to coach. That's part of the beauty of it. You can do typing sessions uh, deep dive sessions where you explore all the ins and outs of someone's type. There's marriage coaching, family coaching, um, all kinds of ways you can use this tool to coach. But one of the fastest growing areas where there's a need and a desire for coaching is when it comes to how you lead and how you relate in the workplace. And that's actually where we're going to focus in today's live coaching session. So um, this is coaching to help someone understand their type and how that shapes their leadership and communication style in the context of workplace relationships. And so with that being said, I want to introduce you to our guest for this episode. Today, I am joined by a very good friend of mine, one of the most thoughtful, loving, caring, servant-hearted people that you could ever possibly meet. And based on those descriptions, you probably have guessed his Enneagram type already. But Chris McGee, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's good to have you, man. Um, did you know we were doing a podcast? That this was going to be live podcast. I had some indication. Uh, okay, good, good, good. Feel, feel awesome. Lots of feelings about that, but <laughs> thanks. That's for the awesome. Up. Yeah. All right. I'm just glad I let you know. Um, and we're recording this, and it's going to be released, and people are going to hear it. I'm just I'm glad I let you know that. Um, I forgot for a moment, maybe if I if I'd mentioned that or not. Um, so today we're going to really help our listeners get a feel for just what it's like to be coached and also to be a coach. And, uh, maybe you're wondering how that works. If the person you're coaching is your friend, you know, as I mentioned, Chris and I are long standing friends. And if you're thinking about becoming a coach, actually one of the best places to find clients and to practice and to get some testimonials to build your coaching practice is to coach your friends. And, um, Chris and I have been doing some work together. Chris, you, you brought me in to do, Uh, an Enneagram retreat with your leadership team, which was a ton of fun. You and uh, my wife and I, and I think 10 or 11 of your uh, staff and uh, leadership team out in a a cabin in the woods for the weekend. And uh, coming out of that weekend, Chris and I have just uh, been doing some one-on-one coaching to talk through how his Enneagram type shapes his leadership style and relationships at work. And uh, again, Chris, thank you so much for graciously and courageously opening the door to allow everyone else to sit in and, and listen. And I think before we jump in, I'd love, Chris, for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself. So why don't, why don't we start there? Tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you're doing, your type, all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, so I'm in the Kansas City area. Uh, I've been a pastor for about 20 years, uh, married to my high school sweetheart, Adrian. We've got two kiddos. Uh, Our daughter is about to graduate from high school and our son is a freshman in high school. 
uh, grew up as a military kid. So kind of where I'm from is uh, kind of a challenging question, but kind of have that kind of unrootedness and yet just love for like different experiences and uh, places there. Um, been in Kansas City for quite a while. Um, just though switched roles to where I'm now leading a church for the first time. So my last 20 years of ministry have been in, uh, you know, as a youth pastor or the number two guy of a church plant or in a counseling pastor role. So I'm in a new mm. season of uh, being a lead pastor, which is what kind of started me. I want to reach out to you. Um, been familiar with Enneagram for a little while. Um, to be really honest, when I first took it uh, in 2015, it was devastating, uh, actually. Um, and then to connect the dots of have a lot of two energy and to realize the connection with twos and shame uh, began to make mm. a little more sense of why that was so, so initially challenging. But um, pretty, pretty high two, pretty high one energy. Uh, six is kind of the, the next uh next closest friend there on those. And those are pretty consistent scores. They rotate who's in the lead, depending on what season I'm in. I feel like, or if I'm trying to outguess the tool, depending on when I take it. Um, but mm. lots of, lots of two, I kind of present as a two with a really high, uh, high one. And to be really honest, like a, a non-resourceful one is a, mm. a more non-resourceful energy when it comes to that um, kind of rigid, you know, the principledness turns into a, a black and white. I can't see it another way, which is really challenging when it comes to there being a right way to be a good person, to love people. Oh, <laughs> when that yeah. one, in, when that, when that one and two blend in a non-resourceful space, it's pretty challenging. Um, so that's what actually led me to reach out to you in this new setting. It's a more of like a revitalization setting in a church um, where there's a lot of need for healing and renewal, which I feel like both my story and my gifts uh, kind of match up for. I actually did some counseling around that. Like, gosh, twos love a good crisis. And so like, man, is this that need to be needed? Am I drawn to a, a place that's hurting on purpose? Uh, so it was helpful to kind of process that with somebody. But as I come into like the, it's been about a year now um, and starting to see some of the shadows of my leadership, uh, some of the places where those things you're cautioned about, hey, if you're not careful, this will uh, start to uh, start to show up, starting to sense some of that, trying to get ahead of that. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's a little about about where I am. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, here, here's where I want to go. Like you've already you've already tipped your hat to this. And I know every coach is different. But if, for, for listeners, if you're thinking about becoming a coach, you know, I'm listening to Chris, I'm listening to him kind of just share a little bit, and I'm already starting to pick up on some of the pain points that caused him to reach out for coaching. I'm starting to pick up on some of those motivating factors that that led him into the coaching space. So that's a question that you always want to ask, you know, in that initial consultation or that first visit, and actually you want to keep coming back to it in your session. So Chris, you, you've already kind of started to go there, but, you know, if you can, you're talking about your non-resourceful one energy. You're talking about the need to be needed. You're talking about shame. You're talking about all those things. And, and those are coming out in how you relate, uh, and which means they're coming out in how you lead. So um, if you can try to kind of distill, what would you say are the pain points or motivating factors that led you to find a coach? And, and now the other side of that coin is what are your hopes and desired outcomes through this process? But c- can you can you share a little bit about that? Like what's the... What tip the scales for you to say, I need, I, I'd like some coaching here. I need some help here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, for one, to be really honest, like uh, in other settings, I feel like this has been a really helpful tool for my own development. So for a number of years, I've felt the benefit of this. So I wanted that for my team. Uh, I thought this it's a team actually that hasn't had a lot of that kind of investment. Um, and so to be able just to say, gosh, it's beautiful to see how God made you, uh, the way you're designed, uh, I shared with you, like my, my big goal was that our team would know how God made them yes. and that they would see like God loves them actually that way. He loves the way that he made them so that they could appreciate how they're made. And then we could work together on how do we acknowledge and adjust to each other based on how we're designed. So, so some of it was like a, just a proactive, Hey, I'm, I'm here for a year. I want to help my team grow developments a, a big part of what's what other people have given to me. And so thinking about the kind of lead pastor that I want to be so that that's a big part of it. Um, and then uh, the obvious practical step of like, gosh, a year, a year into this thing is where the shadows start to get a little bit bigger and mm. uh, starting to look down the road a little bit and going, whoa, if I don't, if I don't get a hold of this. Uh, so not probably at a critical point yet, 
Uh, so maybe out of fear, trying to get ahead, of like trying to keep something bad from happening, to be honest. Um, Cause a lot of the setting, again, it's a revitalization situation. So read into that a lot of pain, a lot of sadness, um, a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, um, which has meant my uh, functioning as a two with like care uh, development, coming close, uh, doing for somebody what, what they're having a hard time doing for themselves. That's felt appropriate. Uh, in, yeah. a, in a wounded place, it's felt like uh, uh, the necessary kind of leadership impulse. But but I'm concerned that that will turn from a helpful thing into more of a non-resourceful. Gosh, now I'm overfunctioning in ways that are uh, keeping someone else from growing, or I'm overfunctioning in a way that I'm starting to get swallowed. Um, which, gosh, that the anger that comes from like a one who's not not kind of dialed into what's happening. So I'm, I surprise myself when I go from sugary, sweet, so kind and caring to like just angry. And so didn't want that to happen. It wouldn't be fair to these sweet people that I'm with. And um, so to be really honest, is that I see those shadows coming as I feel fatigue kind of growing. Um, and I've sensed that shadow side of my leadership in the past and have, I've hurt people in those places, kind of both maybe mm. aware and unaware, to be quite honest. Um, mm. So when that when that anger hits the shame uh, and now it's like overwhelming, uh, the very thing that they didn't ask me to do, that I was happy and willing to do, then now I mm. start to feel some some like everything from like hopelessness to resentment to whatever. So I, I just like if that's the boogeyman and uh, that's a year from now one of my motivations for coaching was like, well, this just feels like the stage is set for that to play out. And uh, just wanted to get ahead of that. Did, didn't want that. Didn't want that to happen. Um, so, yeah. So I think understanding myself better. And then I've got a lot of kind of nine energy on the team that I'm leading. And uh, yeah. again, a lot of like, just really kind, but, but pretty like uh, we're kind of a recovering team in a lot of ways. So that, that also just feels like this supercharged situation where somebody else is going to tend towards, uh, you know, like a more of a passive, more of a peacemaking, like whatever you want to do, uh, which feels good until it doesn't mm -hmm. feel good. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so that's the pain point. So to be really honest, I don't think I've got critical moments right now, probably also in denial a little bit, but I don't think I'm like facing this, like, Oh my gosh, this is about to blow up but I could just yeah. see that from previous places of ministry and life and leadership. And um, I kind of hit a wall in my ministry when I was about 35, 37 years old. And that's where some of my current team is at kind of that 10 years from now. So just kind of hold all that stuff together. Um, and then like, if I'm super honest, it's probably like trying to prevent something bad from happening. If I could control that and, you know, out of fear, uh, try to keep, keep something bad from happening. Cause what's happening in our church is really beautiful. Uh, this healing is taking place and people are from that space of pain that they've experienced, you know, the way, the way Romans five would even talk about that suffering is changing us. It's producing character and endurance and hope. And so we're, we're kind of in the sweet spots uh, months and years after crisis uh, mm. we're starting to see mm. some beautiful things grow. And I just didn't want to mess that up, to be honest. Um, uh, I realize I'm playing my shame card uh, as I say that, but that's, um, it's probably where I'm at. So, well, there's helpful. two, thanks so much for sharing that, Chris. It's, it's just beautiful. And I know that our listeners agree. It's just, it's beautiful to hear the heart of a leader that really cares about not just mm. what you're doing, but about the people that you're doing it with. So yeah, there could be some shame in there around, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. But I also hear desire to, to want to be helpful, which is the gift of a two. Like you want to come into this situation, you want to help, not harm. And I have to ask this question. So this is us, you know, when you're coaching, you're playing jazz, right? Like you're, you know, you kind of know what key you're playing in. Chris has sort of given us the key and now we're improvising a little bit and we're, and we're asking questions. And, and, you know, my heart was pulled as I heard you talking about, your team and you, my, I grabbed onto that phrase. It's a recovering team. So here's, here's my question. I want you to reflect and, and, uh, and don't dodge this, you know, just let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's practice affirming yourself. Where do you see your strengths and gifts as a two shine when you're leading a team that's recovering a team that's maybe a little bit gassed, a little bit tired, a little bit wounded, and you have a type two leader 
that's been entrusted with that team, where, where do you see your gifts and strengths play out in that? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Yeah, that's a great question. And I hope it shows up in like, I really care about them. So uh, their pain really matters to me. Uh, we take time to honor that, sit in that in some spaces, which, you know, you can go too far with that and an entire direct report meeting become a counseling session, which um, if that's all we ever did, that would be inappropriate. But I think just trying to be sensitive to where they're at, um, to be really honest, there's days where uh, the, the most important thing to do is just listen, validate, care, and kind of move into like a counseling kind of care role. Um, so I think really caring about them, uh, really caring about their pain, honoring the fact that's where they really are. And that, uh, you know, and the, the kind of benefit of a church setting is I, I see it as part of our ministry and mission to actually care for our staff. So it doesn't yes. I don't feel like I'm wasting my time or it's not a distraction to our mission for our, our team to be healthy or our team to get care or our team to be discipled or so that whole bundle of things, I feel like uh, my impulse to just stop and see where they're at, kind of feel where they're at, that, you know, empathic attunement kind of reflex to go, Oh, I don't want, I don't want that phrase that you're, you couldn't sleep last night because you were so sad. Like I, I wanted to stop and sit, sit mm -hmm. in that space. And again, that's not, that's not every day. That's not most days, but I think the value of kind of being uh, wired that way is uh, I don't, I don't rush past that. Um, and don't see the need to rush past that. It doesn't feel like an inconvenience. It feels like a really valuable, really valuable thing. So again, the, the, the double-edged sword of that is it's really valuable until it becomes <laughs> coddling or overfunctioning or, uh, you know, like I need them to be in that space. Like that's all I know how to do. I don't know how to develop them. I know I know how to counsel them. Like that's the boogeyman for me is, yeah. but I think the the strength of it is they feel like, you know, that they matter and they're, daughters and sons of God, that their stories are significant to who they are. And uh, it matters to me and it matters to our church. And uh, it's part of their leadership journey, not just fixing it so they can do a better job. Like there, it is, yeah. it is part of their job to be in that space and be honest there. Yeah. Uh, if you walk into our church right now, even I was in a meeting yesterday about residencies and that we were asked, Hey, what's like the secret sauce? What's the thing about your church? That's totally, totally unique, which that whole question makes me super uncomfortable. I think we, probably shouldn't try to be uber unique. I think the, uh, Jesus kind of gives us the mission, but, um, but I just turned to this, uh, my, my associate pastor I was like, man, what would you say? And he's like, we're comfortable with brokenness. Like that's kind of our secret sauce. Mm. So mm. it's like, it, it pervades our church, which I think in this particular time, lots of people need that. So yeah. I think our team then is more stable in their sadness and pain. Uh, again, it's not all of who we are, everything that's happening, but, um, they're more comfortable sitting in that space with other people. So I think modeling, even guys said yesterday, like, I just have learned how to sit in that hard space as you sat in that hard yeah. space with me. Um, so if, if your question is what's the, what's the value or the benefit to the team, I think that's a, a lot of it, um, or at mm. least some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel good about. I mean, is it hard for you to own that about yourself? Like, like those gifts? 
Man, it's not hard to own the gift, but the shadow just feels so close. So it, the shame quickly comes in and goes, yeah, it's great today, but man, if you don't figure out how to not overfunction, the whole thing falls apart. So that, like that voice, yeah. Yeah. so I can, yeah. I, and, yeah. and what's fascinating is actually the way shame works in my soul. The more I acknowledge the gift, the bigger the shadow feels. Mm. Um, so I'm like the, the more I acknowledge, yeah, that's pretty helpful. I'm like, oh boy, that's more spring loaded to, yeah. uh, you know, the whole thing falling apart and unraveling at some point. Yes, which is yes. a, it's a it's a tough place to live. So affirmation uh, is wonderful for a few seconds, and then it's like <laughs> that's true, that's true. And if I don't if I don't watch that, I'm gonna you know everyone will die, and I'll kill everything and suff- suffocate everybody. I'll smother everybody, <laughs> smother everyone love, to death. Yes, and then, and then we'll all then we're all back where we started. Uh, oh man, well yeah, you're and you're and you're absolutely right that there's a shadow side to our, to our gifts. You know, it, it, I love that you use that language. It's really helpful language because the gift is gold, you know, and it shines. Um, but, but what all types, all nine types tend to do is overuse, over depend, become a little codependent with our gifts, over rely on our giftedness. And then there's a shadow side to that. And that's the stuff that comes out sideways and that, disrupts relationships and certainly affects our workplace relationships, which is what you're talking about. You're afraid of now, if you know, for the, for those of you listening, every there's every coach is different. Uh, and, and, and also every client is different. And so as a coach, you bring not only what we give you in the, in the become an Enneagram coach course, but you also bring your own story, your own study, your own expertise, your own credentials. And so, I'm sitting here with Chris. I've been a pastor for 20 years and have some, you know, credentials in, you know, story work and spiritual direction and things like that. So we're not going to do this because we don't have time. But if, if Chris and I, you know, there's an angle, I would, I, there's a thread I, I would be, would really like to pull as I hear Chris talk about his, you know, Chris, your, your fear of the shadow side of your gifts getting in the way. And I've heard you allude to that's happened in the past. So I would, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say, well, tell me about a time that's happened. You know, let's talk about how that has gotten in the way for you in the past, but we won't do that. Here's what I want to do instead. All right. So if you'll follow me, this is what I want to do is we've kind of talked about your goals and desires of you want to be this leader that's marked by love. You want to help your team. You want to be an empathetic leader, uh, which sounds to me like, like Jesus. And I love that. That's where you want to be. Um, but then you also talk about where you are often, which is there's this other side of overfunctioning, functioning um, uh, to use your word of smothering and some of those things that can get in the way of becoming who you want to be. So what I want to do is I want to talk about that because that's the thing that's getting in the way of who you want to be and where you want to go. And to do that, I want to get us into your core motivations. Um, you know, every type has core motivations and that's the, that's the, the, the internal emotional processes and narratives and longings and desires that are shaping everything that we think, feel, and do. And um, so that, that's what I want to do. And Chris, we've talked about your Enneagram type, but I kind of want to do just a brief overview again with you, which um, this is something that in the, in the BEC course, we actually recommend you do in every session with your client to keep reminding them of their core motivations. So if you don't do that, by the way, if you don't get into the core motivations, let me just say this, uh, you know, if you, you what will happen is you'll end up trying to coach your client and your client will spend a lot of money and a lot of energy trying to change symptoms in their life and in their relationships without ever dealing with the source. And so that's, that's why we want to go there. Um, so Chris, I'm going to, I'm going to sh- actually share my screen with you and let's see if you can see this. Um, tell me if you can see that right there. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So um, just again, to let our listeners know what I did for Chris and his team is I had them take our free assessment at your and forward me their results. And then at, at the retreat, we kind of did a deep dive overview of each of the types and Chris, you identified mostly with a type two, which here at, at your Enneagram coach, we call the supportive advisor. And um, I'm going to read these first couple paragraphs, and I just want you to kind of tell me how this, how this sits with you. So type twos uh, walk through life 
prioritizing relationships, making sure the people around them always feel well cared for and loved. They take a genuine interest in others and come alongside anyone in need through their acts of service, helpful advice, and nurture. Really, the, the superpower is discerning what others need and then moving toward them to love and serve them. However, the problem is that there are so many needs. So the depth of need and the suffering around us can be burdensome to it too, because they're so empathetic and so generous that they feel it's their job to take care of everyone and to alleviate the pain of those in their life who are hurting, which is a constant responsibility. And while they are selfless, loving, and giving, they also have a vulnerability toward becoming uh, dependent, prideful, and, and even hostile, or I would say more aggressive in how they pursue and care. Um, so Chris, just those first couple of paragraphs, how does that resonate with you? How does that sit with you? Yeah, I think that description is like what I both want to be and what I kind of people reflect back. That's how they experience me. So that, that, that totally seems like it fits that kind of a lot of relational capacity. People really matter. Taking time for stories. Um, that totally fits. Um, yeah, the I don't often feel like the needs are too many. And so I'm getting overwhelmed. But that also may just be like a numbness and an arrogance. Like uh, I think I probably pride myself in my capacity. Uh, mm. It's not, it's not hard for me to have, you know, just a ton of meetings in one day. So I, I'm not mindful of uh, feeling swallowed up by all the needs and therefore it's too much of a burden. Um, but that's probably happening. And that's, what's leading to some of the like, dang, is anybody else going to take care of some of this stuff? Or is anybody else going to, um, and some, some yeah. of the fear, some of the fear I have of like, if I overfunction, I truncate someone else's development where they could be doing things on their own. And my desire to care for them is actually slowing that down. That that's like a core, core fear that I have. Uh, yeah. 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 The hostile hostile doesn't feel like it fits as far as like, I don't ever like for, I don't think I forced myself on anybody. Uh, but, but it's also, there's just so many needs and so much request. I don't have to, like, it's a, so that, but that's, that's probably a place where I may be blind and would want to explore a little bit. Um, when I read those, those words of dependent and hostile, prideful, hundred percent, even really out of touch with my own needs, which I'm, I'm learning as a form of pride of like, mm-hmm. I don't need, mm-hmm. I don't need to do that. I'm fine without doing that, which is, um, arrogance, not just humility. Uh, yes. but, but yeah, I mean, 95% of that just like, oh gosh, that's, Fits. that's Tuesday. Yeah. That's Tuesday. Yep. That's Tuesday. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for reflecting. So, um, you know, if take, take a look at these four pieces here. So we we teach, you know, there are four core motivations. There's a core fear, which is kind of what a person is always running from and trying to avoid. There's a core desire, which is what a person is running to and believing will, will bring them fulfillment. Uh, There's a core weakness, which is the core issue that a person typically struggles with and is always struggling with. And then there's the core longing, which is the central message that a person's heart is always longing to hear. So um, I'm, by the way, for the listener, I'm looking at the, the become an Enneagram coach uh, course workbook. Uh, and I've just had this pulled up and I'm sharing my screen and we're looking at the type two here and, and I'm just walk, walking through this with Chris. So Chris, let's just look at this and just reflect. I just want you to tell me what stands out to you and, and not everything has to fit just right. Feel the freedom to change a word, put it in your own words. But the core fear of a two typically is this fear of being rejected and unwanted. Um, another way to say that is being thought worthless, being, being found out as needy, discovering your own needs, uh, that, that there's a fear there for twos, being in, insignificant or dispensable to the, to the relational unit. Like if you weren't needed, that's a fear for twos, um, being unworthy of love. Core desire is twos want to be appreciated. They want to be loved. They want to be wanted. Um, and then the core weakness is pride. This is kind of what you were picking up on, Chris, the, the pride in your own capacity to, to use your, your language. This is where twos can deny their own needs and emotions and, and really sell themselves out to serve people in the hopes that others will uh, acknowledge uh, and affirm them and acknowledge how grateful they are for their thoughtful care. And then the core longing that they want to hear the message twos want to hear is you are wanted and loved just for being you like type twos. They want to be needed. They want to be wanted and they want to be valued. And that's what they want to hear. 
So let me stop there and just ask Chris, like when you think about work and your relationships at work, uh, how, how do the, how do you see these core motivations playing out? Where do you see the core fear, core desire, core weakness, core longing showing up? How's, how's this all landing on you? What's going on in you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that core weakness like totally makes sense to me. Um, I think I'm the older I get, the more I realize how arrogance is a, and pride's a big part. Um, and it shows up as self-reliance or high capacity, but it's probably um, like arrogantly feeling like I don't, I shouldn't have to need that kind of space for myself or something like that. To be really honest, and you and I've talked about this a little bit, like um, the core fear of like being thought worthless or being insignificant. I'm, I'm not mindful of that. Um, that doesn't resonate like with my like conscious thoughts. Um, yeah. But, but I think the way, like what I would say is my, my biggest fear is that I would hurt somebody or my biggest fear is that I would um, not care for somebody well, which is probably a synonym of some of those. They just, it just feels different. Maybe it's the way I understand those words. Um, like I, I don't feel like I have this drive to be significant or so being insignificant would be on uh, a big fear. Um it's more that I would uh, in an effort to love and care for somebody would wind up like not doing that. So like when I've hurt somebody, it's, it's, it's hard for me to accept that. Um, it's not hard for me to apologize. It's hard for me to like stop apologizing or it's not hard mm. for me to, to own it. It's hard for me to, to like move on. Um, but those, but that might be like a fear of rejections making me want to over apologize so that I'm not rejected or something like that. So I'm, I'm really curious about those. Um, if I, if I don't resonate with those words, is it are those like uh, part of the thing I do feel? So uh, when it comes to desire too, again, like I, I, I'm not mindful of, gosh, I really want to be appreciated. I want somebody to say they appreciate me. I mean, obviously it feels good, but I deflect that so fast. If someone does uh, kind of eye out shucks that real quick. Um, so again, it's almost like my desire, my desire is just to be helpful, um, which I realize you're probably smiling going, Oh dude, you're, you're totally playing right into this thing. So <laughs> probably like probably saying it, I'm probably doing it, probably doing it right now live in the moment. But I, uh, I, I don't have like a, cause I don't feel unwanted. And I don't feel undesired and I don't feel, un- I don't feel unappreciated. So maybe I just have that already. Like that desire is being met. So it doesn't feel like a, a thing I'm longing for that. That's probably my, like my wife is really healthy uh, as a nine and um, man has given those things to me for 20 plus years. Mm. So I, I, I feel pretty settled in my relationship with her, my relationship with Jesus. Uh, but, but I, I mean, I, I would like, uh, I'd be open to exploring uh, isn't that arrogant? I'd be open to that. If you wanted to try it, Adam, to explore that with me, I might let you do that. But I think I, I think I'm, as I read that, I'm going, uh, crap, I probably need to pay more attention to that. Um, uh, but it's the way I would talk about it feels different than those descriptors. Um, yeah. And I don't know what to do with that, to be quite honest. I don't know if that is the pride playing itself out or me just not being willing to be honest about what I feel on the inside, but, um, hard days for me are not, are not days when someone, you know, didn't return my call or, or, uh, said they didn't need me. Sure. Um, Sure. Sure. Yep. It's, uh, it's moments where I feel like I, I, I hurt somebody. Well, let's do this. Let's try, let's try this on. Okay. And, and again, I'm not, I'll, I'll never guide you somewhere you don't want to go, but this, let's try to focus for a second on the part of you that feel that, that fears hurting someone. Because it's easy, it's easy for us to baptize that as, well, that's a good thing. And it is a good thing. I mean, I think, you know, like nobody should want to hurt people. But let's just be curious with that part of you for, for a moment. Um, I wonder, and, and for the listeners, this may feel a little strange, okay? But the psalmist talked to themselves, right? They, why are you downcast on my soul? He's talking to a part of himself. I wonder, Chris, if you talked to the part of you that was afraid, like if you actually like checked in with it and, and asked it, what are you afraid would happen if you let someone down, if you disappoint someone, if you hurt someone, what are you afraid would happen? What are you afraid would happen? Um, it's 
so funny, man. My my defense mechanism is so high. I'm like, well, those are different. Like uh, disappointing them and hurting them. Those. Uh, it's funny. I want to. I want to like quibble there. Um, Go with the yeah. Jump on the words. I, yeah. Well, hold on. Let's do this real quick. Hold on. Let's let's, let's do this real quick. Time out because I think that's really helpful. That uh, no, I think it's really helpful that you acknowledged that there's a part of you that's jumping in and kind of wanting to focus on the language and the and um and the technicalities of what of my question. That's really helpful because that part of you is, is kind of making itself known. So help, we'll say hello to that part of you and we're glad it's here. If you could ask that part of you to sort of step aside, create, create a little bit of a gentle boundary with like, okay, that, cause that part's trying to keep you from going wherever this question wants to take you. So if that part can kind of give you a little space and let's, let's return to the part of you that it fears hurting people. And let's ask it, what are you afraid would happen? if someone is hurt by you in, in your leadership. Cause you're saying just hurting them. That's not a, that's not enough of a fear. Like it needs to be more than that. Cause like yes. I'm going like, well, that's, that's pretty bad just to hurt them. Uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah. I think there's a place where I'm, some of this is where my role and my reality as a person gets blended together in a couple of ways. Like as a pastor, there's like people lend to you you know, a uh, certain credibility and authority. And uh, so if that gets misused, uh, it's really devastating. And the idea of that pain that pastors cause often cause people to doubt God or doubt the church or um, it seems like it has an impact and messes with them in, in, in ways that are not just about me and them, but, but what I represent, you know, uh, hmm. so gospel questions and, you know, is the church a safe place? And is God, does God even, well, God hurt me as well. And here's a, here's a person who's in a, a spiritual kind of shepherd. And so if the Lord is my shepherd and the physical shepherd I had hurt me, does that mean God also hurts me? So I think there's, there's some of that to be honest of like the consequences feel big. Um, uh, like if it's a, if I'm in sales and I miss a sale and, you know, the consequences, economics or something for me, right. Or don't hit my quota. Um, and this is again, probably the pride coming out of like esteeming that maybe too much, but it's like, uh, mm. I think I've just, maybe it's just, I've had people look me in the eye and tell me that, Hey, you, you hurt me. Uh, you let me down. You failed me. You harmed me as you were trying to care for me. You was too aggressive or it was too earnest or you, you, you know, stayed with a thought too long. And I told you that wasn't the thing. And you kept saying it probably was a thing and that hurt. And that, that piece has like a, an inertia to it that, that just like stays with that person yes. longer than, than if my coach or my teacher or my accountant hurt me. Um, yes. So that's yes. where my mind goes at him. I don't, I don't know if that's, that's Yeah. Well, here's what I'm hearing. You, let me, so, you know, as a, as a coach, you listen, you clarify, and you ask, "Am I hearing you? Am I am I hearing you right?" So, let me try to put this in my words. And let me see if I'm hearing you. This part of you that fears, um, uh, and I don't, I don't know if it's the if it's a if it's a, a type one part of you that is kind of trying to criticize you to stay in line and make sure you don't use your your gifts in inappropriate ways. I'm not I'm not quite sure what part of you it is yet, but the part of you that fears hurting people uh, is afraid of causing spiritual harm. I mean, you're a pastor, you're a leader, you're a shepherd, you're a lead pastor. You, you also are a boss with a staff, but because it's all connected to the church and it's all funneled through that lens, I'm hearing you say you're really afraid of causing spiritual harm in people. Um, and you want to protect people from that. Um. But this part is also, am I hearing you right? Yeah, that for sure. And as you're talking, I'm like, I'm listening to you going, yeah, that's it. And there's, uh, my mind's going to, oh, there's also this other piece. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's right. At least that's what I'm, what I would tell myself. That sounds kind of noble as you repeat it back to me. I'm like, well, that sounds, that sounds really healthy. And then I'm like, well, it's, I'm probably like, that's probably something weird about that. Um <laughs> Well, let's consider yeah. for let's consider for a moment that this part of you is also trying to protect you. All right, yeah. which is also not bad. Our our brains and our parts are designed to help us connect and protect. That's that's we have to be able to make healthy connections and draw healthy boundaries. And and so there's nothing wrong with self protection on some some level. 
but it sounds like this part of you is trying to protect you from something you might experience if you cause that kind of harm in someone's life. Mm-hmm. So what is it afraid what, what you would experience in yourself? What, what would it say about you? What would you feel in yourself? Uh, it, this wouldn't even have to come from someone else, but it could come from within. Like what, yeah. what experience would you have if you cause that kind of harm to someone? Dude, that's a huge question. Um, there would be a kind of rejection. Uh, there would be a, uh, a sense of failure. Um, uh, there would be like a kind of losing credibility or reputation um, that I would, I could see myself wanting to protect and explain away. So I didn't, didn't lose that. So my heart goes first. Um, yes. Yeah. When I close my eyes and imagine that, you know, someone's in a coffee shop telling the story of how I hurt them to somebody else, uh, both would like hurt for that person, but also, Oh gosh, what would that other person be thinking and Mm. feeling, which that feels like, you know, uh, the shame uh, and what's fascinating man is that I think there's so such a part of me with that one is so high as an impulse of like well let me explain let me explain what I meant by that let me explain my intentions there let me explain why that wasn't what I so have a strong desire to um, to explain to you know qualify to give some backstory to share my intentions mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. Part, partly not, you know, when uh, probably it's in service of like, oh, if you understood, then you wouldn't be so hurt, but probably would be like, oh, then you wouldn't think I, you know, was, yes. was a bad person or, um, you know, didn't care about how I made you feel or, cause I think there's, you know, the, the, the fear of like, you hurt me and you don't care about that or something like that. Um, like, oh no, it's devastating to me to hurt you. Mm. And, uh, so just that, to, to be uh, seen a certain way Pro- mm. probably it's probably more it's probably more active than I realize in the moment as I'm like just hearing you ask that question and trying to be honest with what even though even as I'm trying <laughs> I can feel myself doing it as I'm answering your question of like trying to explain and trying to give some you know backstory and uh, part of that feels familiar of uh, yes I could, I could find myself wanting someone to understand why it wasn't actually that bad, which would protect, you know, kind of how I'm seen or, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Which probably gets into value and, uh, wait, what were those words about being rejected and unloved? Yeah. Just kidding. I think yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, right. that does, right. that does sound familiar, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is funny. It's like, uh, uh, yeah, I probably want to sit in that place a little bit, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be more honest with myself there. That feels, that feels important to sit with that. Yes. That would be to me a big takeaway from this session is to sit with that, to even revisit, to write down, you know, as a coach, you, you, you often give homework assignments, right? So my, my exhortation or encouragement might be to write down that question. What is this part of me afraid would happen if I hurt someone with my leadership and to, to sit with yourself and with God in that question and to think about the layers of the, of that question. Cause your initial response was, um, I would cause spiritual harm. And that's legitimate. That's not a false answer or a dodging. That's like a legitimate part of the fear is that I, I would cause spiritual harm in someone. I would impact how their relationship with God because, you know, I'm a pastor and I hurt them. Um, and certainly that happens. And, and we have reason to be afraid of that. But then there's the other layer of what are you afraid would, would happen to you? What would this say about you? And since I'm still sharing my screen with you, uh, you did mention several of these words, you know, and I'm, and, and if you're working with a client, sometimes you, you read the core motivations or you read something, you know, and, and it's, a word doesn't sit right. And that's totally fine. Cause a, the Enneagram is not big enough to hold, to explain every detail of every person's life. Cause you're more than your number 
I'll talk about that in a second, but also we just encourage people to put the word, put, put the word or phrase in their own words. And Chris, you, I wrote down, you know, you talked about, well, I'm afraid um, I would feel a sense of rejection and failure, you know, and, and, and I wrote down, I would lose a sense. I fear that in the, in other people's eyes, I would lose a sense of credibility. And I'm seeing on the screen here, that word insignificant, you know, core fear of being insignificant, which is not grandiose significance, but it's, really losing a sense of a place in people's lives, um, being dispensable. Um, and then, you know, seen a certain way and you mentioned shame. And I think that's obviously in the, in the Enneagram triads in the centers of intelligence, you know, that's uh, a core underlying emotional struggle for twos is that, is that feeling of shame, which is, uh, am I really loved? Am I really helpful? Do people want me? Do people need me? Um, and I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm picking up on that this party is afraid of. Um, yeah. Does that fit? Does that, does that feel right? Yeah, man. I think, I think it does. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I thought as you're talking, like my mind is a couple of different places. And I think if you're going, what would happen to me if some of the shadow of my leadership is over-functioning for people so they don't develop because I make them dependent on me. Um. I don't like how that feels, but the, but the fear and some of that is like, Oh man, then my, my team wouldn't be at a place where I need them to be mm. when we, when I need, when I need them to be there. So when there's like this fear, of, this fear of like, I would truncate, you know, my, my shadows would truncate their growth. Um, right. and then that would get, that would get pretty gnarly when, um, that's when right. It was time. So that's that, right. that feels, that feels strange though to say that I don't, I don't know what's making me want to, I'm trying to like, Oh, the cost to me, of why I wouldn't want to hurt somebody is like that. It would cost me more down the road. Yeah. <laughs> so it might just be like just raw fear and uh panic kind of setting in of like, Oh my gosh, I can't keep all this up. I can't hold all this together. Um, Cause it is fascinating. Even, even the retreat there were anytime you, and you watch this this weekend, anytime somebody would affirm gifting or, you know, uh, places where I was helpful. It's, it just, it spring loads this like, yep. Until, yeah. yeah. Until it's too big and I can't do it anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which those words now, like with fresh eyes, like, oh yeah, that's totally what that is. That's a, uh, cause yeah. then, cause then I would be, I would say, I, I would, I would want, I would want to say, cause then I'm unhelpful, but it would really be like, well, then I'm not very valuable or then I'm not, mm-hmm. not doing what I need to do that you, mm-hmm. that you, that you began to be, um, attracted to or dependent on or appreciated that that thing would go away or it would uh, evaporate or it would it would run out uh that's right i think that's that's the idea of i would i would run out of the thing that the person found helpful uh yes and and not not like that's fine because i got more of it. it's like oh now it's like oh it's all, it's all gone which yeah. i'm i'm grow i'm growing aware of my like oh yeah oh jesus is the one who has that not not me that's um, right so some of that connecting people to me um, and going, man, I really appreciate meeting with you rather than I really appreciate the way you help me connect with Jesus. That those are like uh, warning signs for me. If the language mm. coming back is you mm. were so helpful versus man talking with you helped me connect with Jesus. Mm. Uh, that feels like uh, a little bit semantics, but it, it feels fundamentally different. Well, for you, for, yeah, and I don't, and I don't want to dodge the the honoring you because that's like the scripture calls us to out, outdo one another and showing honor. So you are helpful, and and anyone who you lead would would acknowledge. But what I'm hearing you say is that knowing your tendencies, that's a helpful diagnostic for you. That when you and I would just that's another takeaway I would write down. Like when you start to hear people use that language, that can be like a blinking light on the dashboard for you to kind of indicate. Uh, whether or not you are using your gifts to actually help people connect with Christ in a healthy way or using your gifts to kind of overfunction and make yourself indispensable. That's really helpful. I mean, that's a great, that's a big takeaway for me, for you. Um, and, the, the, and the key, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to, without trying to figure it out, like we're not trying to get up in our heads and figure things out, but we're trying to build a relationship with these parts of ourselves. So what is this part of you that feels it has to overfunction? What is it afraid of? And, and we're kind of getting into that. Well, we're afraid that if I don't keep people 
if I don't help people the way I think I'm supposed to, A, I'm going to harm them. B, I'm going to end up in a, in, a, in a place of shame and a place where I lose, lose a place in people's lives and where I'm not as, as needed and not, and not considered helpful. And so that part of you is driving you. And you can see that core longing, which only Jesus can satisfy, is to hear, you know what? Whether you help us or not, you are just wanted and loved. Like we just want yeah. Chris and love Chris. Um, even if you hurt us uh, or bump into us, we love you and we want you. That Does that message, like what, what goes on in you when, when, whenever you read that, you hear me say that? <laughs> and I feel like I've built such strong defenses. Like I'm so resisted to like, I want to dismiss. Oh, of course. Yeah, I get that. No problem. So sure. it doesn't feel... <laughs> It doesn't feel like I'm letting that land probably because it's pretty devastating. Um, yeah. I mean, it feels, uh, it feels good. And again, I think there's places where I have some relationships, intimate relationships where I do feel that that are not tied to performance. Um, right. They're not tied to my value that I've added, but um, yeah, again, you know, in a, in a career path where you've been told, man, you add so much value, the, the subtle, like, well, I better keep that up. I mean, I better like keep going. I would guess it's the same. I'm, I'm, I'm like mildly obese and whatever's up, but, but I guess it was like a skinny person feels like, well, if someone tells me I'm attractive, I better keep that going. Or somebody says I'm really yeah. funny. I better keep that. I better never be sad. I better always be funny or uh, I better not yeah. lose this thing that's attracting them. So when it's caring for people is the thing when it's yes. being available when that's yes. the thing that people will go, it's not my waist or my, you know, musical ability or my, my intellect. Yeah. It's me. It's, it's me being, it's me being available to them. Um, yeah. Like it's pretty twisted up. So it's like, I, I want to believe that. Yeah. And again, my wife has shown me that in spades where uh, it's not, it's not been what I've given her that makes me valuable um, to her, which is beautiful and reflects you know, in Ephesians five sort of way, I feel like I'm experiencing what it means for Christ to love me mm. in my marriage. But, um, but so many places it is, uh, uh, what gets reflected back is dude, you're man. That was so, that was so helpful. Um, yes. Yes. Which I guess, I guess I'm like, that's probably shame. Right. But there's, I would guess every, every gold has that corresponding shadow. Like you're going to run out of, yeah, you're going to run out of the thing. So, yeah, and what and to, to 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 use your words, it's uh, it's this principle. That's a pretty good of, deflection, right? There's a pretty good, yeah, everybody, yeah. Let let, let me just acknowledge. I'm not, let, I'm not bad. Let, Doesn't everybody do that? For all of our listeners, let's just acknowledge what Chris has acknowledged for us that he did not answer my question about how the core longing sits on him. No, no, no. But you know, you did, and 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 I and I don't know if I hear deflection or not. I think I hear you wrestling with wrestling faithfully with something live. And that's, that's, that's what coaching is. You know, that's what this is, is we're trying this on and we're wrestling, we're thinking through, we're trying to pay attention to what we're feeling. And you made a help, a really helpful observation that I want to, that an, another kind of takeaway is what there's this cliche of what you attract people with, you have to keep them with. And, you know, we say that even in the church world, like if you're going to attract people with, you know, uh, whatever you're going to attract them with like an amazing Sunday experience, then you're going to have to really keep that up, you know? So the easiest place for us to reach is always to our gifts. That's the lowest hanging fruit. So we we reach for our gifts and for you, it's a gift of what makes what can make you so attractive is how helpful you are, how, how loved people feel, but it's the, but the core lie of a two is that they don't, that's the reason they love me. If they really knew me and what a let me just, I'm not saying this, there's no shame in this, but if they really knew how needy I am, and if I only knew how needy I am, and if they, if they knew what a mess and how needy and how much help I need, man, would they love me? Would, could God love me? Would, would Christ actually love me if he knew these things? And if other people knew these things, um, what, well, now, I see you smiling. What what goes on in you when I say that? Oh, uh, just like don't use humor to deflect. Don't use humor to deflect. Don't use humor to deflect. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think that's um, well. What's so helpful about even this conversation, Adam, is like you're just 
not letting me rush past a quick answer or a way I normally cope or talk my way through that. Like, cause I would normally go, Oh man, I'm, I'm okay. I can be a mess and still be loved. I get that. Um, <laughs> but I like to make me sit in it for a second and go, really, do you really think that, um, mm. it's helpful. Um, uh, yeah, I think I would say like there's places where I feel that, um, and there's places where it's hard for me to believe that. Like, sure. I, just, I feel like there's, sure. part, there's parts of my life and relationship yeah. where if uh, yeah. I can be known and still be loved and I feel, I feel really safe there and there's other parts. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I don't, I, I don't think I broadcast like that. I got everything together and I'm this omnicompetent leader that if you just knew I was insecure, scared, you would, you would reject me. I don't, I don't think I'm trafficking in presenting myself as um, not a mess. Uh, So I don't feel like it's a threat. If you find out I'm not a mess, if you find out that I am a mess, that doesn't feel like a threat. Um, But me being a mess and me hurting you are different, you know? So it's, it's fascinating. Like I, uh, but I guess it would be, I mean, if you're, so if you go, trying to just be honest in front of a billion listeners on your podcast is it a billion <laughs> it's, it's two billion it's two, two billion. billion two billion listeners two billion yes. translated into a hundred different languages um <laughs> i think uh uh it's that idea of like the thing that you want from me that i think is in a in a lot of ways is appropriate if i exaggerate that or leverage that you know, it's like, well, of course that would wind up hurting you. Like, so to, 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 the challenge for me as an authentic spiritual leader is to stay like appropriately me, but like not traffic in vulnerability, right? So not make vulnerability the thing. Like, come here, we are the vulnerable place. That's, you know, those guys are the cool guys. Those guys are the hipster place. Those guys are the intellectual place. Right. We're the vulnerable place. And so that's our yes. commodity. So yes. to just be, to be it authentically rather than traffic in it. Um, feels yes. really important. Um, yes. Yes. And I think that's probably one of my core fears is like, how would I know? It feels like a pretty blurry line yeah. between like welcoming somebody into that. So you got to talk about it so they can feel comfortable and um, the arrogant step to like, you know, exaggerate that or present that as the thing that we offer people. And yet you do want to offer like a, a vulnerable place. So I, I get pretty busy to be really honest with yep. you. I try to mm-hmm. part of my like, you know, childhood fears, wounds is man. If I could think through this thing, then I could be safe. I think there's an appropriate way where like, we want to welcome people into vulnerability and um, authenticity. But when we start to leverage that, like as a commodity that we're offering people, it feels like a blurry line for me. And part of my childhood wound is like the belief that if I could think through every potential danger, I could, I could keep it from happening. Mm -hmm. So I get pretty twisted up as a pastor of like, how do I keep that? from being exaggerated or how do I keep from commodifying that? Or how do I keep from, uh, you know, what is, what is a real, is a beautiful, authentic place that only comes out of brokenness. And that, that is true of our church. And then I'll hear people say, Oh, I just love the authenticity of this place. Um, and I, I, I'm both really thankful for that, but then it's also, it also feels like a threat to like, well, what if you misunderstood that? Or what if, what if, you know, uh, that changes or because uh, it's hard to be authentic you know the bigger we get the more we grow it's like when it was just a handful of hurting people it was really easy to be uh, authentically authentic that's right now right. now the idea of like well you guys are the authentic ones right do do it do the authentic thing like be authentic real quick and you're like oh now i gotta turn that on and uh that feels um man i, I can just since the fear uh, in me yes. of like again messing this thing up because of exaggerating some some gifts like that's that feels really feels really pronounced in ways I, I yes. don't think I've been aware of like I feel I feel it in my body as I say that yes. out loud but yes so what just the notice the takeaway that the, the noticing there what I want you to notice is just again let's come just this, this is the noticing notice that there's a part of you that is really afraid and it's not a critique. There's a part of you that's really afraid of not being helpful. And instead, 
hurting. Um, and that part of you is, is fearful that you might even hurt to the point of, or you might even help to the point of hurting it, that that part of you is just afraid that you won't be genuinely helpful, but instead right. you'll be hurtful or harmful. And, um, so, you know, in, in our work together, I know we got to wrap this session up, but that's where, that's where the work is. The work is going to be in building a relationship with that part, getting to know, um, what, what's, what is this part afraid of? What does it need? What does it need from you? What does it need from Jesus? What does it need to unburden? What does it need to let go of? And for the listeners, there's so many places I would want to take Chris if in, 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 in future sessions. And what's amazing is we give all of this to you in the becoming Enneagram, Enneagram coach course. So like, I would want to take Chris through the aware exercise, you know, like Chris, I'd love to take you through the aware the aware exercise is aware is an acronym, right? Where it's like A stands for awaken to your thoughts and your narratives and your feelings and body sensations and inclinations. So in this case, it would be awaken to this part of you that's really afraid. And then W is welcome. Welcome these, these experience and parts of you without judgment. So what would it look like for you to befriend this part of you that's afraid of hurting people? Ask is a is ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. You know, invite Christ's presence to meet you where you are. Uh, the R stands for receive what is true. So when you invite this presence of Christ close to this part, you you ask Him to speak what's true and it, ask ask Him if there's anything He wants to give or do for this part of you, and then you receive it. And then the E stands for engage. You know, engage with yourself and with relation with your relationships in a new way marked by love and self-compassion and grace and kindness toward yourself, which is huge. I mean, the, the, the welcome part of the aware exercise is massive because if we're not, if we're not practicing compassion toward ourselves, we'll never change. It's, it's kindness that leads to, to repentance and change. So often we're really hard on these parts of ourselves. We, we hate the part of our, of, a two might hate the part of themselves that overfunctions or hate the part of themselves that blows up whenever they overfunction and then then morph into resentment or or whatever. So you know that's a place I'd love to take you. I'd love to take you through uh, you know uh, your your paths. Your your the 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 you're connected to your eight and your four. I'd love to walk you through that. But let me just say this because I know we got to wrap up, and I want to I'll, I'll say a couple things, and I want to ask you how how this connects, and and we'll do this in two minutes. This, these are my we could make this a whole other session, but my closing kind of coaching points to summarize is I would say um, lean into the healthy side of your type eight path and be become to be okay with boundaries, like manage boundaries with more awareness. Twos are connected to eight. And I know in kind of an Enneagram 101 speak, we say that twos only go to eight in times of stress, but that's not true. We actually use the healthy and unhealthy sides of both of our paths. So for you to lean into the healthy side of your type eight and manage boundaries with more awareness, you know, begin to practice saying no, um, you know, part of our coaching work is, I think I said this to you at the retreat, but every time we say yes to something, we're actually saying no to something else. So it's not that we have a problem saying no, we're always saying no to something. And for type twos, they have to kind of remember, you know, Jesus didn't heal everyone during his time on earth. And uh, he said no to some really good opportunities so that he could go do other good things. So that's, that's a gift that your type eight, that, that part of you is like, you need to connect with that part of you, get to know that part of you that, that can step up and, and protect you and say, nope, I'm going to say no. Other thing is I would lean into the healthy side of your type four. Twos, twos are connected to four in the paths. And the healthy side of your type four will help you take less responsibility for managing how everyone else feels and more responsibility for your own feelings and needs. And the, the key kind of for a two, the, the secret sauce is just to remember you'll have healthier relationships at work and in your life. If, if, if you notice and express your own needs, you'll actually be able to connect with others. The more you connect with yourself or to, to use the metaphor, if you, if you don't pour from an empty cup, you know, you, you can't give what you don't have. So for you to, to make space, to get in touch with your own needs and your own feelings will really serve you relationally as a leader. And that's the, that's a key for a type. That's, that's a gift that your type four part can, can bring you into. And I know in the Christian world, this is where twos will get up in their heads and say, well, 
it's wrong to be self-focused. You know, it's, we need to be uh, others focused, but I keep coming back to, you know, Jesus was not selfish. He was also not selfless. He, he had a self that he took care of and he manages the tension perfectly. And this is where your three wing can actually help you, Chris, because uh, it can help you develop yourself without feeling bad about it uh, and help you kind of take care of yourself in that way without, without the shame of it, uh, of your being selfish. You're, you're actually just stewarding the self that you have, which is really the only gift that you have to give. Um, so gosh, Chris, there's probably right there. You're probably like, well, gosh, like we can't end there. Like I, I want to, I, I mean, I got to <laughs> say something about those things. Um, this is me as a coach. I'm not fixing you. I'm not fixing anything. I'm not offering cheap advice. I'm offering you an opera. The Enneagram is extending to you an opportunity to build a relationship with these parts of yourself and help these parts of yourself get to know Jesus better. Yeah. So what are, what are your closing thoughts there, Chris, uh, as we wrap up? Uh, man, that sounds like a really beautiful invitation. Um, uh, as you're talking, it's uh, the way the pride piece functions for me. It's not even so much that I'm like uh, like unwilling or I think I'm unworthy of those things. It's like I'm just not even aware that I need them. Mm. Like I'm just so so resilient or so high capacity or so whatever, whatever, like uh, the 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 pride it doesn't keep me from wanting to pursue those it just keeps me from just acknowledging that they're there yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. it's obviously the key is just to keep coming back to the gospel for every type and and the good news for a type two is that you're wanted and loved in christ just for who you are because that's who god is he's love and and in jesus god became needy so that you can be needy with him and admit your need and, and be met with, with empathy and compassion. And uh, on the cross, he really did take care of your greatest needs so that you can be in relationship with him. And this, this really, that really does free you, Chris, to serve others out of the overflow of just enjoying Christ's love instead of needing to earn it from, from anyone else. And that's uh, that's good news that takes practice sitting in, right? and that's 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 the heart of what we're doing here in this in this coaching arena is just helping you practice getting in touch with that and sitting with that. So, Chris, thank you so much, man, my friend, uh, for giving us your time and giving us more importantly yourself today. I hope this has been as good for you as I know it has been for our listeners and just for everyone listening. Uh, this is an example of what we teach in our Becoming Enneagram Coach course. Uh, we're actually opening the, the certification course and program February 28th to March 9th. So if you want to become a coach, help people find their type, coach them toward astonishing clarity with the gospel so they can be transformed and they can uh, love and lead others well, then uh, this course is for you. And I hope you'll join us in the course. And remember, the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder it is only the gospel that transforms us. Thank you all for joining us.